Welcome to episode 344 with my guest, Sarah Sterling. Uh, I'm Paul Gilmartin. This is the Mental Illness Happy Hour, a place for honesty about all the battles in our heads. From medically diagnosed conditions, past traumas, and sexual dysfunction, to everyday compulsive negative thinking. Uh, the show's not meant to be a substitute for professional mental counseling. I'm not a therapist. It's not a doctor's office. Turn around and leave if you think this was a doctor's office. Why am I attacking the kind listener right out of the gate? Because I hate myself. That's why. Because I feel less than. Oh, let's not let's not go down this rabbit hole. Hey, um, our website is mentalpod.com. Go there, fill out a survey. A big part of this show is reading surveys, and I know we've been a little bit light on them lately. Uh, it's because I've been trying to find a place to live. Uh, as I mentioned, I'm getting uh, booted out of this apartment, and I've also been uh, looking for maybe another apartment to live in, maybe trying to find a house to live in, and I still haven't decided, and I have to move in five days. <laughs> so it's a little crazy. Um, so we should be back to our kind of our regular routine, uh, hopefully in a couple of weeks, but uh, there will still be episodes every um, every Friday morning. So um, what did I want to mention? Oh, we we finally fixed the search engine or the search tool on our website to make it easier to find uh, older episodes. Um, it was really laborious for people to uh, have to find episodes from four or five years back, and there was no really good way to do it. It was so laborious that, that the government was beginning to sentence criminals to searching for episodes from 2013. And then they appealed, and an appeals court found it uh, unusually inhumane to make people do that. So I contacted uh, our web guy and said, uh, listen, we got to change this. And so we did. And so uh, now there's a drop-down menu, and you can pick a year and month to kind of drop into the scrolling back and forth for episodes. So hopefully that'll make it easier. And if not, go fuck yourself. <laughs> Somebody emailed me and they said, we haven't heard you tell us to go fuck ourselves in a while. So there you go. Um, thank you for the British listeners who pointed out that uh, the British word for flashlight is torch. From last week's episode, I thought that the headmaster she was talking about was actually carrying a torch, um, which made it so dramatic, but it's still dramatic. We have a winner for our L.A. Podfest uh, hotel and uh, ticket winner, and it is Grace, who has been a subscriber for, uh, for a while on the podcast. Uh, I don't know if she wants her last name mentioned yet, so... Uh, I emailed her, but uh, haven't heard back whether or not she wants her last name mentioned. I know this is very tense. Uh, rest assured, I will <laughs> we'll get you a, a last name. Um, I was talking to uh, my therapist last Friday, and I s stumbled upon 
how uncomfortable I am in asking people to do things for me and how afraid I am of having needs. You know, I, I, on the last week's episode, we talked about how my therapist had me take this test, which is called the language of love, and you find out uh, by taking this test which ways of expressing and receiving love do you put the most value on? For, you know, for instance, actions or words or physical touch or um, being helped, etc., uh, etc. Et and as I mentioned on last week's episode, the 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 two top ways that I enjoy receiving love are by people helping me and by um, spending quality time and having someone's undivided attention. And I realized those are two things I almost never do. And I was like, why, why do I avoid giving people an opportunity to love me? And I realized it's because I am afraid of looking needy. I am afraid of having needs. And I don't know where it comes from. Maybe it comes from... in in childhood, uh, for some reason, maybe I was afraid to have needs. Maybe I was just so focused on other people's needs that I didn't even know what my needs were. But one of the ways that, that I have coped with this fear is it's so gross. Uh, my ex-wife used to point this out to me. Instead of coming right out and saying, hey, could you you know, go uh, start cooking uh, the, the spaghetti for me, uh, I would say, boy, I um, I wonder what traffic's going to be like on that way over to that, that place in, in 20 minutes. <laughs> it's like I leave a trail of clues in the hopes that the person will do the math and realize that I have a need to be filled. And it is so, it used to drive my ex-wife crazy. And she would just say, just fucking ask for something. But I'm so afraid of looking needy. And yet I can be needy. Oh, we're, I shouldn't put this on you. I'm a piece of work. But enough about me. Uh, let me tell you about our sponsor, BetterHelp.com. I love them. I've been using uh, BetterHelp.com for a year, and I love my therapist. Her name is Donna Keen. She's awesome. Talk to her every Friday. We do a video to video, and uh, I get so much out of it. She gives me a lot of uh, a lot of clarity on on stuff, and she's big on bringing it back to the present moment and staying staying in the moment, um, which is all we really ever have. Uh, so if you want to check out BetterHelp.com, uh, go to BetterHelp.com slash mental. And it's important you put the slash mental in there because then they'll know you came from us. And hopefully they'll continue to uh, advertise with us. Uh, so go there, uh, complete a questionnaire, and then they'll match you with a BetterHelp.com counselor. And you can experience a free week of counseling to see if online counseling is right for you. And you need to be 18 years or older. Um Oh, and not older than 137, but that hasn't been a problem yet. I want to read a, a survey. This is an awful moment uh, survey, and this was filled out by Daniel, and he writes, I had my first depressive episode in my mid-20s. It was pretty severe. It got to the point where I wasn't able to get out of bed to go to work, and I would just sleep all day. 
I finally realized I needed help and sought treatment. I decided to tell my parents what I was going through in the hope that they would help support me through this rough time. When I called my mom and told her that I had started seeing a doctor to help me with depression, her response was simply, well, I just hope they don't tell you it was our fault. I'm so scared of being alive and so scared of dying. I was so, so lonely, but I couldn't bear being around people, and it hurt. I've just been, like, very interested in dicks. I don't know how to let loose and just be. All my alters have different handwriting and different... Extremely anxious. Affects. I am most turned on when I am in fear. My first thought was I'm about to die. Stomach-clutching despair. Ocean of sadness. I came out over the phone to them. I put myself on the anxiety in fourth grade. They told me I was wrong. The secrecy is what kills us. And I just sat there and cried on his shoulder. And it was the first time I ever felt safe, like a weight lifted off of me. In order to get rid of your anger, you have to learn how to cry. I started liking myself for the first time. I'm afraid that people are only nice to me because they're afraid I'll kill myself if they're not. Oh, that's fantastic. (laughs) That is fantastic. I'm here with Sarah Sterling, uh, who was recommended to me by a listener. And listeners usually have a pretty good sense of uh, somebody that would be a good guest for the uh, for the show. Uh, you're a YouTube artist. Uh, you talk about all things Disney. Uh, it's interesting. My first reaction was, wow, does this person have enough issues to... Uh, <laughs> to talk about on the podcast and then I realized oh anybody that loves Disney has got to be fucked up (laughs) oh my god (laughs) that's probably true no uh, no, I'm not a huge Disney fan Mm -hmm. and uh, and I'm fucked up so uh, there goes there goes my theory Uh, actually that's not true when I was a kid um, some of the Disney stuff I I totally love yeah I feel like everyone has to love it at least a little bit yeah some part of it before you hate it right (laughs) (laughs) Uh, what are the broad, so we we exchanged emails and I said, you know, if you were to come on as a guest, what are some of the broad strokes of your stories or issues that you would like to talk about? And you said, uh, do you remember what you said? I don't actually, it's so long ago at this point. I assume I probably talked about a terrible relationship I had. I think that was one of them. And I think the other thing you said was that there was something that you hadn't really talked about much yet. And... And you were considering, you had been wanting to kind of talk about an issue. I don't know if it was anxiety or depression. Or- oh, yeah. I have um, started talking about my anxiety issues more and more on YouTube. Uh, so I'm not sure if it was that because I have been, maybe not at the time that we corresponded. I hadn't been talking about it yet. But I also smoked so much weed in my day. <laughs> I may be mistaking you with sure. somebody else. Yeah. Um, so where would be a so anxiety? Yes. Um you got out of a, a terrible relationship. I had a a relationship that I think causes a lot of the issues that I deal with today. Okay. Yeah. What do you think would be the best way to proceed? One of the things that I like to do, I know you've listened to a few episodes, but one mm-hmm. of the things that I like to do is uh kind of understand a little bit uh where somebody comes from, kind mm-hmm. of uh where were they what was the emotional environment like that they were sure. raised in issues they may have had as a kid? We'll start from the very beginning. Let's do that. And you're <laughs> how old? I'm 26. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I grew up in LA. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've never had a desire to leave. So I've always stayed here uh, all over the city. And um, 
I'm like, how do I begin? I'm like, what issues do I start with? I was a very happy kid. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think I had a bad childhood at all. My parents got divorced when I was eight, and even that um, was... Was it amicable? Yes, very amicable, and they made it very easy for us. I don't remember a moment of being upset about it. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, my sisters, I think, maybe had a harder time because I'm the youngest. I have two older sisters. Um. And so that typically would probably cause some issues. But for me, it was very easy. And I feel very lucky about that. Um, More difficult later in life was my dad getting remarried um, when I was 12. Uh, Not for any reason other than um, living with a new person proved to be somewhat challenging when I was like a teenager. Because it was anybody or that person in particular? Um, I think it would have been hard with anybody, but uh, my stepmother in particular uh, is a very particular person. Um, I don't want to speak poorly of her because I do really like, I like her and we get along now. (laughs) But (laughs) as soon as I went to college, we got along a lot better. Um, But she, I think she even would agree with like me saying that she is very particular she likes things the way she likes things um she had a lot of rules that i wasn't used to uh and so that was somewhat difficult in terms of the divorce um i got a a half i'm like i could call him a half brother he's technically a stepbrother out of the situation but um my brother was adopted single by my stepmother and so he my dad is like his only dad that he's ever had so i like Mm -hmm. it's really tough for me to even call him a stepbrother Mm because he's just very much my brother um, so those were like the biggest challenges pre being 16. Then I met the guy that I ended up being with for mm, four or five years when I was 16. Um, and he was 24. So <laughs> that is like the crux of you were 16 and he was yes. 24. Yes. <laughs> Your look says everything. <laughs> um, so I've talked about this entire experience online, but I stopped talking about it maybe a couple years ago. Just like, I mean, I don't entirely agree with my own reasons for not talking about it, which is why I'm like pretty pumped to talk talk about it here. (laughs) Um, It's like, I think messy situations um, can make, well, I like wanted to use the word messy to describe myself. I think that situations like mine can make a person seem messy. And so I, that's why I don't talk about it a lot. <laughs> but um, And why the uh, reticence to, to seem uh, messy? Just for like professional purposes. I see. It's really stupid. I think that experiences can make a person seem less desirable to work with because of things that have happened in their past because it's really not uncommon (laughs) what happened to me and like a lot of other situations are not uncommon but that is why I've like kept it kind of I don't keep it quiet I just like don't really talk about it I see anymore before we get to that uh I get out of breath when I like (laughs) (laughs) deep deep breaths deep breaths uh, before we get to the uh, relationship, sure. uh, give me some snapshots from childhood or adolescence, okay. things that you feel are emblematic, positively or negatively, of kind of the your, your emotional life, self-beliefs, how you viewed the world, any of oh, the above. Sure. Um, my family is very liberal and pretty accepting of like whatever I wanted to do. Like I don't feel like I was ever 
forced to do things I didn't want to do. I think my parents tried to get me to play sports and I didn't want to play sports. And that was like the only thing that I can remember them trying to force me into. Um, I'm the youngest of two sisters and I'm also the youngest of like six total female cousins. My family is very like all women. And that was like kind of very, uh, now I appreciate it a lot. Um, I don't think I even really realized it as a kid. Um, my mom is did really... You, did you feel left behind as a kid? Because yeah. everybody was older and was talking about things you didn't <laughs> really understand? for like a short period of time. Okay. Just because like, I mean, the next age difference in my family would be three years between me and my cousin that's mm-hmm. closest in age to me. And she really hated being like paired with me mm-hmm. all the time. It's until... a pretty big difference though for a kid. Right. I mean, it's like mm-hmm. when she's like nine and I'm still six, she like didn't want to hang out with me. Um, she, I don't think she wanted to hang out with me until I was like 14, probably. Um, but I mean, they were all very, no one was ever mean to me. Uh, but, uh, yeah. And I was going to say my mom is really overprotective. I feel like I've definitely picked up a lot of her tendencies to fear situations. Um, like kind of a worst case scenario, uh, Maybe not even like worst case scenario. She just like was always kind of like, I have a lot of memories of her talking to me about like, what do you do if someone like attacks you in your car? Like, what do you do if like you're choking on something alone at home? What do you do if someone like says they have a puppy they want to show you like after school? So kind of testing you? Yes. And I appreciate it, but also like definitely (laughs) didn't make me worried as a kid, but I think hasn't, has changed me as an adult when she would ask you this was there a bare bulb on a chain in an <laughs> empty room <laughs> no it sounds like that i feel like it was always in the car like we always just like on long drives or something um she was worse with my older sisters i think i think by the t- which is funny because it was still kind of intense but by the time she got to me it was less intense because i remember i don't know if you're familiar with the third street promenade probably mm-hmm. uh, yeah so we grew up in santa monica and so she made my sister um like literally tested my sister before she was allowed to hang out on the promenade alone in middle school. She made, um, she would walk the promenade and like point out any possible dangers and then have my sister walk the promenade. And if she didn't see everything my mom had seen, she wasn't ready to go wow. to the promenade alone. Wow. That's, that's, <laughs> that, that's pretty intense. And for the uh, listeners, yeah. uh, the third street promenade is a, uh, outdoor mall, uh, very close to the ocean in Santa Monica in Los Angeles, and uh, very very popular. Can be very crowded. Yeah. Um, a lot of there, like, yeah. Yeah, and there's there's also an element of um, uh, how do I put it in Santa Monica of uh, drifters, uh, homeless people, yeah. some um, untreated mental illness mm-hmm. uh and uh, as harry harry Shear uh calls it uh, santa monica the home of the homeless yeah <laughs> um but uh but a really nice uh really nice area but yeah. certainly fraught with pockets of unpredictability sure so i'm glad she'll never hear this because she would kill me for talking yes. about it but yeah so i mean i think that is the most uh like part of my childhood that has affected me as an adult i think i'm very um i don't worry about a lot of situations but i think i'm very yeah maybe like more careful than other people and i kind of get a little bit anxious when i feel out of control and i think it's all kind of like from her maybe i like don't want to blame her but i mean whatever um so 
Yeah, I think in terms of like childhood. Do you get ang- anxious sometimes when you come to her to share some part of your life for fear that uh, she's going to scrutinize it in a way that may take some of the uh, joy out of it? And that's a dynamic that I see sometimes in parents mm-hmm. that are worry wards. No, I think what's great is that uh, I've always kind of been out of my sisters, at least out of my cousins as well, like the weird one. I don't, that's a very generic word to use for it, but I've always kind of like, no one ever knew what I was going to grow up to do. And like, I was interested in a lot of different things that weren't Mm -hmm. really being done yet. Like I was editing videos when I was like in the sixth grade, which at the time like, I don't think YouTube even existed then, like, stuff like that. So it's like, now it's obvious, like, what I would end up doing, but at the time, not very obvious. And so my mom was always super supportive of everything I was into. And I think in college, before, like, YouTube was a, I'm using air quotes, career, um, she was kind of like, what are you doing? But, like, now is very supportive of it all. And I, I don't worry about telling her, anything i think i'm protective of her uh like i am very careful in the way that i do say certain things to her because she can get very emotional as can i it's like i probably get it from her (laughs) but um i've talked a lot to my therapist about how like i keep a lot of things maybe from her because i don't want her to like freak out Mm -hmm. because she will freak out when there's nothing to freak out about so that's a different sort of thing that i think you were asking Right, but just a kind of yes. a different emotional anticipation. Yeah, of of what would if I'm like dealing with something, I might not talk to her about it because she'll just worry about it for way longer than it's even going to be happening. Yeah, type of thing. Yeah, I see that. I see that happen a lot. Yeah. A lot with people, the well-meaning parent that yeah, kind of doesn't really <laughs> know how to have their brain wind down or where to kind of let the child loose to make their own mistakes. Mm-hmm. She recently talked to me about a couple mid- videos I've made about my anxiety issues because I I have started talking about it a little bit more on my YouTube channel. Um, And she was like, I'm I'm a little bit concerned because the way you talk about it makes it sound like somewhat debilitating. And that's not like how I see you. And I'm like, I don't know what to tell you. Like, it's not like I'm like, I'm living my life and I'm fine. But like, it's all kind of internal and I'm like Mm -hmm. making it external. And she's like, okay, I think it freaks her out. Uh, not only that I talk about it, but that she's like, where is this coming from? And is it my fault? And like all these different things, but she's been okay about it. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's gotta be hard to be a parent. It's gotta be really, For really sure. hard to understand where does pre- uh, protection end and independence begin for, yeah. for a kid. I can't imagine how, how baffling and challenging that yeah. must be. Definitely. So uh, fast forward to, uh, unless there were other uh, little moments you wanted to share that you you feel kind of... Uh, I mean, I feel like there's potentially a lot I could touch on, but I don't think anything is super important to go into. So You want to you just give me maybe two more and... Uh, yeah, it came to mind that I was, like, scared of my dad as a kid for mm-hmm. no reason. I don't think he, like, now that I'm an adult, I see him as, like, a total goofball. But he was he's very um, quiet and reserved, as is his whole 
side of the family. And I think I have some of those tendencies. But as a kid, I think I was just really scared of him because I didn't know him very well. Mm -hmm. Um, And he worked a lot. Um, So there's that. And I really feel like that's it. I, I think there's like some moments in my like adolescence where both my sisters were super like up for valedictorian, like straight A students. And I was not, I was not a bad student, but, um, I think for a short period of time in middle school, I felt like I had to live up to that. And then I did not feel that way at all in high school anymore. I was like, I'm different and that's fine. So I'm rolling with it. (laughs) So, and, um, were grades uh, treated as like by your parents? Was it, uh, this is expected of you, there's no wiggle room, or we just want you to try um, as hard as you can, and whatever the result may be, we love you and support you. I think the latter, as long as I was applying myself, I think they were happy. There were times where I think they knew I wasn't trying my best, and that's when they were upset. Um, But honestly, I wasn't a terrible student, but it's just like by the time I was applying for college... Uh, they were just like, well, you know, like, be realistic about where you're going to go. <laughs> and Like, they were fine with it. But, uh, you know, kind of understood where okay. I was at. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so uh, how did this uh, relationship uh, come about? It's kind of funny, just mm-hmm. because it's so nerdy. Um, <laughs> I, you know, I have, like, all my Disney stuff. But before the Disney stuff, there was um, Harry Potter which I'm so obsessed with and have been since I was in the eighth grade. Or when I was eight. Sorry, not the eighth grade. Uh, so, like, I grew up loving Harry Potter, being so obsessed with it. Um, and then <laughs> there, I don't, you've probably, I don't know if you're into Harry Potter, are you? I read the first book and um, it it didn't, it wasn't anything where I was like, I can't, I can't wait to read the next book, but I can absolutely see how somebody mm-hmm. could um, just want to, escape into as much of it as possible sure um before we move on past the harry potter stuff uh it's all related i promise okay (laughs) i I was going to ask you if you could inject yourself into any scene or harry potter situation or be any character or view any Harry Potter moment as a fly on the wall, et cetera, et cetera, what what would that be? Your real life and the Harry Potter world mixing, what would what are some things that, that spring to mind? Oh my god, I've like never thought about this. I've obviously thought about like being like what would it be like to have magic and like go to Hogwarts, but I've never like thought about who I favorite characters, but I don't think I'd want to be them. I'm like, what Harry Potter moment? Um, well, you could talk about the thing that you thought about as well. What it would be like to have magic and go to Hogwarts. Yeah. What, what are some of the things that you uh, envision or fantasize? Um, I'm very, like, into my house association. Like, everybody who's into Harry Potter, even people who are not, I think, like, maybe think about what house they would be in if they went to Hogwarts. And I'm very, like, adamantly Hufflepuff which to you probably means absolutely nothing. <laughs> but <laughs> Hufflepuffs in the in the movies are like pretty ignored. And so I think in pop culture terms, um, it's like the forgotten house that nobody even really, like, really thinks about, even though I think they're having like a popular resurgence now. But they're not really paid much attention to. There's like two prominent characters in the books that are Hufflepuffs. And um, 
so it's really the book fans who I think really love Hufflepuff and like associate with being in that house. And I'm one of them. They're very loyal and can be very tenacious is like another word to describe them, but hardworking. Um, I associate myself with Hufflepuff because I think that I am very aggressive, but only when it comes to like righteousness and also mm-hmm. sticking up for people. So yeah. that's, that sounds like a good, uh, a good, <laughs> a good house. So uh, great. <laughs> would it, would, it would be fair to say that they can, uh, tend to be, um, underestimated uh for their strength and what's really going on inside them um but because they uh aren't the ones that want all the accolades they're they are um fine with with who they are and they believe that their fate will uh you know ultimately what's inside them will determine their destiny rather than what people think of them Yeah, I mean, I think you could definitely say that. There's a lot of different types of people who could still be in all of the four houses, but um, those are just the reasons why I feel like I'm in that house. Have have you in your life felt like you've been overlooked? Mm, Not necessarily. I think that I'm someone who likes being the center of attention when I want to be the center of attention, which is not always. (laughs) So it's like... When I want something, I'm going to do what I need to do to get there or get it. And then other times I just like want to be completely mm-hmm. alone. And would it be fair to say that the the moments when you do want to seek attention, it's because you have something you want to express or because you just want to be seen? It could be either. Okay. I think sometimes it definitely is just wanting to have attention. Okay. Yeah. Can you think of a moment in your life where you felt you're you're like a intense desire inside yourself to be seen and it felt unmet um i think all through high school i did a lot of things that were like somewhat ridiculous just to be noticed um i like always talk about how i was teased in high school but i don't think it was i don't think it really affected me negatively what i always like tell people because i get a lot of people talking to me about how they're also teased for liking disney or whatever it is that they love um when people would make fun of me for stuff i really just was pushed to like throw it back at them more Mm -hmm. and so i but i but i think it's kind of it was probably me turning like negative attention into just like more attention of any kind it's like if someone's gonna hate me or make fun of me for just liking whatever i like then i'm just gonna like it harder in their face Mm -hmm. it's like okay I don't I don't know if that makes sense. No, that's (laughs) that's pretty badass. Yeah, I mean, like, I can't, I feel like being teased in middle school did make me really upset, but then I kind of just figured out my own way to turn it into something else. Yeah. And it it was your tastes that uh, were the reason you were... Yeah, like, liking Disney and, like, being really into Disney stuff was just, like, too bizarre for people, apparently. That's, that strikes me as odd. It's, it's like, isn't that the age that people are supposed to like that, or was that not considered in high school? Too I think, yeah, I think yeah. it's for younger. But with Harry Potter too, I just like I wore wizard robes to school like way too often, just because I was like 
if you're gonna think it's weird, then I'm just gonna be wow. weirder for you. You wore a wizard robe yeah, to did. high school. Not like all the time. Like I tried to only do it on spirit days, but there were definitely days. I'm gonna say one days. time is memorable. <laughs> I'm gonna say one time is memorable. But uh, and I don't and I don't mean this condescendingly, but no, good, good for you. Thank you. Good for you. <laughs> I wanted to be that like I wanted to be a theater student yeah. in high school, but I didn't have the guts to do it because I was afraid of being um, labeled mm-hmm. something of sure. being with the kids who uh, fearlessly express themselves. And uh, so I, uh, you know, tip mm-hmm. of the hat. Thanks. Yeah, <laughs> tip of the wizard cap to you. Yeah, tip of the sorting uh, hat. Okay, so um, so magical powers. Uh, you would be in that house. Yeah. I've thought about, like, which classes I would enjoy the most. I think it would be charms um, for, I don't really know what reason. I feel like charms is, like, the most useful spells. Um, I've thought about, like, if I would play Quidditch, I definitely would not. Is that the broom thing? Yeah, it's like, I don't like sports in this reality, and I wouldn't like sports in that reality yeah. either. <laughs> um, yeah, I've I've mostly just thought about, like, we don't get to, this is so meta it's not meta it's just like getting deep into it with someone who doesn't really know the books i'm like have thought a lot about what the hufflepuff common room looks like because we don't actually get to go into it in the books so i've thought a lot about that describe it um well they're by the kitchens that's the only thing we know from the books is that they're next to the kitchens and i imagine it to be very yellow because that's the hufflepuff color and just like cozy and warm because that's how hufflepuffs feel to me Gryffindor common room, it feels very similar to that, except less gothic in my mind. But that might be the movies informing my vision of what all of it looks like. So, <laughs> I appreciate you sharing all this stuff. Sure. It's, uh, it, it's a, uh, a really fascinating way for me to try to understand somebody's inner, inner life, mm-hmm. you know, as, as opposed to just... Um, talking about events because yeah. I think a, a lot of times uh, fantasy is uh, a, a peek into this the subconscious mm-hmm. you know I had this fantasy when I was uh, like 14 or 15 and I all of a sudden the people that I'd been friends with as kids went to a different high school everybody was hitting puberty and growing and I wasn't and I just felt left in the dust and I so I started smoking pot and I remember just the feeling of um, of escape from it and and I would fantasize that I could get high in a did you ever watch I Dream of Jeannie? A little bit. You know, the, in her bottle, how mm-hmm. it had all those pillows? Yeah. It would be like a sphere like that, but totally clear, and it had all those pillows, and it would just be me, and I could get high in it, and it would be chained. It would have a chain on the bottom of the sphere, chained to the um, the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean, and I would be able to bob up and down in the middle of the most violent storm, and I would be safe from it, and I could just watch chaos all around me but I would be protected. And of course, now I look back and it was like, oh, you know, there was chaos in right. my house. I just couldn't give, give, uh, you know, words to it. Um, so that, I think fantasy can be really mm-hmm. um, illustrate. Uh, <laughs> there's a word. Yeah. No. Illustrative. Yeah, that works. <laughs> okay. So go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. So, I mean, the Harry Potter stuff, um, 
was always there. But then in high school, I started learning about this thing called wizard rock, which is a musical genre of uh, just music written about Harry Potter. Um, So there was like a lot of bands that were like cropping up uh, who were just writing songs about Harry Potter. But like, it's so hard to explain because it's like really good music, but it sounds so funny. But it's like if you had an actual pop song or rock song or punk song, but the lyrics were just like about Harry Potter. And I was obsessed. I thought it was like the greatest thing. And so uh, when the seventh book was coming out, I was like figuring out where I was going to go to the midnight release of the book because I had been doing that since like the fifth book, going to the midnight movies and all of that. So my decision was informed by the fact that one of these bands was going to be playing at a Barnes and Noble in LA. And I was like, oh my God, I could see a Wizard Rock show live and like was really into this particular band. And did you have a group of friends that were into it as well? So you had a community or was this kind Um, of a solo thing for you? I didn't quite... My sister, my older sister, Rachel, has always also been into Harry Potter, but she wasn't really, um, like, doing it with me then. She got really into, like, the fandom with me later um, and is, like, now in it. I'm still in it. Mm-hmm. And so is she. Um, I, I went, I didn't go alone. I went with, like, family friends who were just like, this seems fun. I'm, like, going to go with you. And um, the the same like night I still like consider it like the beginning of my involvement in the Harry Potter fandom because I met a lot of people that night who like influenced me to go to Harry Potter conventions after that point and like I talked to them online about Harry Potter stuff it's just like the first night that I like met people who were into it on the level that I was so did you feel like you'd found your people yeah maybe not that night but like it all stemmed from that night. Okay, so you found some degree of acceptance yeah. there. I mean, I think the reason why I loved the midnight releases so much is because it's like who who else except the most hardcore fans are going to that kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> so that's why I like I kept having these like moments where I was going to these midnight releases or premieres of movies yeah. and being like, this is a taste of like what it would be like to be surrounded mm-hmm. by people who love it. So anyway, I go to Barnes and Noble and this band is playing. And the lead singer is the guy I would end up being in this relationship with. So that's when I met him. He was the lead singer of a band. I don't even care to mention it. It's called the Remus Lupins. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they were all dumb names like that, um, based off Harry Potter characters. So I met him that night. I was 16. He was 24. He started talking to me after that point, like on MySpace probably, and then like on AOL Instant Messenger. And he lived in L.A., and so it's just, like, started with a lot of him, like, saying inappropriate things to me at the time. I didn't realize they were inappropriate. Like, I mean, I probably did on some level, because he was saying stuff like, I wish you weren't 16, and, like, gross stuff like that. But we would hang out a lot more in group settings, because it was easier to explain to my parents, but obviously there was a lot of lying that started to happen at that point. And you were a sophomore, junior? I must have been, it was in the summer probably before my junior year that I met him. Yeah. So, uh, I'm like, I don't even know like how to chronologically explain this relationship, but um, there was just a lot of us like, hanging out and kind of sneaking around and 
because I wasn't 18, there was kind of always this like looming, like this can never be a thing because like it's not legal for it to be like a real right. thing. <laughs> right. um, was it something that you uh, in your 16 year old brain right. uh, uh, longed for? Yes. Like I was like, this feels awesome. Like getting attention from this older person. Mm-hmm. Um, like he's really cool in this scene and like. And, like, I'm beginning to be cool in the scene, and I'm not cool in high school. This feels great. You know, like, all that stuff. So um, it was very addicting. I definitely put up with a lot of stuff because it felt good to have some sort of status and to, like, be liked by this person. Um, Like, what kind of stuff did you put up with? Oh, well, he was just, like, terrible. Like, I mean, I think it goes without saying that, like, any 24-year-old who, like, pursues a 16-year-old is terrible. But, like, he was also very manipulative. Mm-hmm. And, um, like, I mean, he was always the one who was just like, well, you can't be my girlfriend because you're not 18. And strung me along until I was 18. And then even then, like, was not, like, a good boyfriend or exclusive to me at all. Um we would go i would go to conventions harry potter conventions that he was at and he would uh be very mean to me like when other people were present and like nice to me when no one was around type of thing uh it's like wait say that again he was he was mean to you when people were around but nice when no one was around basically yes i would think it would be the other way right i mean it's just like i think there were so many girls that he was also pursuing and interacting with that could have been around at any given moment i probably don't even know like all of the people involved with his like nonsense and so like when i think he would choose on different days or nights like who he would be like nice to and then everyone else he was like very standoffish to but like kept them strung along privately Mm -hmm. so as not to like cut off that relation relationship sorry um so i mean i was just kind of dealing with that from ages like 16 to but nothing 18. nothing and but nothing happened before your 18th birthday physically it did is the thing and we he was always very much like i'm not gonna have sex with you until you're 18 but like there's a lot of different like sex can be just, like defined very differently and by a lot of definitions it still definitely was sex so um lots of I mean, I don't know how explicit I can get. <laughs> you can you share freely on, sure. the, on the podcast. Um, lots of like, basically everything except vaginal penetration. <laughs> you okay. can, it's fair game. Um, so like, I think as a 16 year old, 16, 17 year old, I was like, it's not sex, you know, but now as an adult, I'm like, it was sex. <laughs> so um, he was trying to cover his ass in terms of like, definitions of sex but it definitely like was not okay so and what what do you think looking and maybe this is too soon to ask you this question at this point in your unrolling the story but what do you think as you look back now i look what feelings come up it sounds like anger yes um yeah i have a lot of like i'm still angry at him even though like (laughs) this will come up later of like done everything I can to like make sure that he doesn't do this to other people but um I definitely consider it sexual assault that's like a given like I think a lot of people get upset if I call it rape but like because it wasn't violent and because I was 
quote unquote consenting, but I look back at like my mindset as a teenager and I'm like, there's no way I could really have consented at the time because it there was like a huge power imbalance and I wasn't not making informed decisions, but like I wasn't making decisions with a sound mind. Yeah. So that's how I look back on it. Yeah. It's, it's kind of, uh, uh emotionally coercive. Very. Yeah. yeah. Um, when I was 18, I was like, I'm 18 now we should be together. And, um, even then, like it wasn't really anywhere near like a good committed relationship. Um, and then I, I feel like I forget, I truly forget like the order of things, but there was a point where he was very publicly my boyfriend and um, I don't really remember when that happened. I th I remember probably giving him some sort of ultimatum and being like, this is messed up, like you said when I was 18, that kind of thing. Um, but I don't really remember the conversation. <laughs> and then there was a, there was a lot of like, um, him cheating, like during, even after he was like, okay, and being very public. And I do remember the conversation when I, it, it wasn't like when I, I'm like s struggling to like remember the order of things as I like say to you. Uh, there was later, like when I finally did break up with him, but then I remember a conversation when I was probably trying to break up with him where he, I like so vividly remember him saying like, you know, you're never going to find someone who's as good for you as I am. Um, wow. <laughs> yeah, terrible. Uh, but at that point I did say to him like, well then like the world is messed up if I can't find someone better than you. <laughs> uh, but still stayed with him for at least a little bit after that point. I broke up with him when I went to go work at Disneyland. <laughs> so uh, there's so many, <laughs> so many terrible jokes in right. there. So many ironies, so much awfulsome that's a word we use on the podcast something that is awful at the time but you look back yeah. on it and there's something so sickly fucked up about it you can't yeah. help but kind of laugh no i definitely yeah. laugh about it a lot with like the women who were like friends with him or like involved with him at the time like we all definitely laugh about it a lot now in a very twisted way um i broke up with him when I was about to go work at Disney because I was a part of this program and I like really wanted to like fully experience it. I feel like in college, I was always like coming back to the West side. I went to college on the East side of LA, um, kept like just like missing a lot of things because I was like just trying to spend time with him. I was very paranoid about time that I wasn't spending with him because he could be doing like whatever. Um, that definitely is still like something that I think about in my current relationship, which sucks so much. I'm always like, and I'm very open with my boyfriend now where I'm like, can you like, text me when you're out? Because I'm like, have this like paranoia that you're mm. going to cheat on me, which he hasn't. Um, and, uh, so anyway, I didn't want that conti to continue when I went to Disney. And so I was like, you know what? I think we should take a break. Um, and at that point he basically started seeing, a very good friend of both of ours who he had always like very clearly been interested in like the entire time I knew him. Um, and that really sucked and like was hard for like a long time, especially, uh, it's like, like a sitcom basically, because like she and I were like living in the same apartment complex at the time. And he was like coming to Anaheim to like see her, but I was also there. 
felt very weird about it. Um, she and I are very good friends now, so it's all good. But um, that's when that ended. I feel like I very much skimmed over the entire thing, and it's a lot more like how much? Did, up. How, how much did your parents know? Like not none of yeah. this <laughs> when I talked about protecting my mom. Yeah, this is kind of like the biggest thing. Okay, yeah. and uh, do they know about it now? No. Okay. Not really. They they knew about him when I started like officially and openly dating him. But they didn't know that he had been telling you since you were 16. No. You know. No. They like knew who, or that you were doing things with him no, when you were 16. No, no, definitely not. They knew who he was before we were like openly dating. Um but it was always like either me sneaking around or me like kind of making it okay by ma- like having be like oh a lot of people are going to be there things like that so they like knew him and i think my mom was always very uncomfortable with the idea of me hanging out with like older people but it kind of was like it's harry potter like they're all just so like, innocent. in the yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. um so yeah they knew about him after like we were officially dating but they definitely don't know like everything that happened Okay. Let's say they were to hear uh, this episode, and, <laughs> <I don't. laughs> and, and what would you, what would your thoughts and feelings be, knowing that you were to meet with your parents in an hour to talk about this? Um, I th- I would be terrified. I think my dad would be very good about it. My mom would be like an emotional wreck, even though it's already done with. Yeah, yeah. I think she would blame herself. For all of it <laughs> and so let's say your mom you know you open the door and your mom was hysterical and, and she was saying i didn't protect you i didn't protect you um well, yeah, i'm gonna cry thinking about it sorry i mean i don't know what i would say but i do think about this a lot because I mean, the next part of this story is that I I wrote about this very publicly online. <laughs> um, and, like, the number one um, question I was asked by people is, like, why I didn't tell the police or, like, report him in some other way. And, like, the real reason I didn't is because, like, I didn't want my mom to know. And I still don't. Um, yeah. <laughs> I really didn't. I thought I'd be able to get through this without crying about it, but he had to bring up the mom stuff. <laughs> you know, first of all, thank you for being so vulner- course, vulnerable. Yeah. And um, you know, so a, a couple of thoughts strike me as you're sharing this. Number one is how. How do I put this into words? How much you care for your mom. Yeah. And how much she cares for you. Yet there's this kind of this disconnect. Yeah. That is kind of heartbreaking because neither of you want to hurt each other. Right. You both want the best for each other. But there's this kind of gap. And the question is, how do you how do you fill that gap? And the thought that pops into my head is. (laughs) Is. To share this with your mom so that you can begin to try to fill that gap. Because until I think she has knowledge of this protectiveness you feel towards her, 
I don't think she'll be given the opportunity to try to work on it from her end. And if she loves you, she would want to do that. And she seems like the person, yeah. type of person that would want to do that because it sounds like she loves you. Yeah. I think that there's a lot of irrational behavior that could stem from a conversation about this sort of stuff. Um, and it's, I don't know. It like, my family is very like gossipy. There's lots of like, wouldn't really just like stay with her probably. Um, I don't know. There's like a lot of, there's a lot of things that keep me from having like a conversation with her about it. But I don't think you're wrong. And and I'm not trying to, (laughs) to push or pry. I'm just trying to, to, um, yeah, be a, a neutral observer and, um, and, uh, yeah. 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 Um, but thank you for, for going to a place that must be really hard on, on some days to, to go back in and, yeah. and talk about that. It's uh, so funny. Cause I like think about all this stuff pretty frequently. Um, and I always like have like kind of imaginary conversations about how I would like talk about the entire situation and it never plays out like it does in my head. And I always cry, even though I always feel like I could not cry talking about it. Um, so it's just funny. (laughs) When you got choked up back there, what were the thoughts or feelings that were going through your head? If there was any conscious Probably, Um, yeah, probably guilt. I feel guilty because I feel like my mom saw it all coming and I like was a dumb teenager and did what I wanted to do at the time and now I'm dealing with that. Um, I think that's like the dominant thing that I feel about it. Uh, But isn't that also some of what teenagers do? Right. I mean, it's just like my mom got really lucky that she had, I think even me is really good kids. Um, I probably did the worst stuff, but like in the grand scheme of things, still pretty good. Like not mm-hmm. doing hard drugs and not being like delinquent in school, like stuff like that. But um, and, and, yeah. And the other thing is, is I think when you start to blame yourself, you're underestimating the coercion of a 24 year old brain seducing a 16-year-old brain and right. all the tricks that that person yeah can can pull out yeah <laughs> that you know how could how could a mother's uh you know stern chat right compete, stand up to that <laughs> compete with 14 in-person encounters with a highly manipulative person that you're smitten with how yeah. could you know, and and it's it's a little heartbreaking to hear you being so hard on yourself um, for that. But I also understand that part of that heartbreak is that your mom will will feel pain. Right. Yeah. No. I. I mean, at the root, not even at the root. Just like I'm. I'm very aware that like it's all all of it is his fault, and like none of it is my fault. Um. It's really just like the fear of the reaction, and like how upset I know she would be and you know everything I've kind of said already it's more just like that the me protecting her like I just would rather her stay blissfully ignorant of all of it mm-hmm. my my sister Rachel knows about all of it mm-hmm. both my sisters know about all of it neither of my parents do so it was like hard enough for them to know 
and like they're very reasonable people who I can have like hard conversations with and leave with everyone kind of being able to live their lives unaffected by it but I don't think my mom would be able to like continue her life unaffected by it on the daily (laughs) so you don't think eventually she would get to a place where there would be peace around it's not to say she wouldn't get a twinge of you know right um but you don't think it would cripple cripple her ability to function um i think i don't want to call her like unreasonable or like crazy i don't like that word even but like she's the type of person who like until very recently i was positive would send me to rehab if she knew that i had ever smoked weed like extreme so reactions over- to somewhat over- benign situations. Okay. okay. So, and then what would you say to the fact that you are 26 and you are in a you are in an adult and even though she may want those things for you um how how does that discussion play out in your mind when you say to yourself you know, Sarah, you're you're 26. Mm-hmm. You're not living under her roof anymore. Um, what does do you have that conversation with yourself ever? Yeah, I'm. I do. I think that there's a possibility that when I'm like 40, I could have the conversation with her. But it's like I for so for the foreseeable future, I think that this will continue. That she sees me still as very young because I'm the youngest Mm -hmm. and um she she's very she's she trusts my decision making generally less than my sisters just because I'm the youngest and in her mind I'll always be like a baby um she like got freaked out when I got my very first credit card after college because she was like you don't know how to handle like paying off you know like she just like and I'm like I'm I'm also an adult now, like that kind of conversation. So like, I don't know at what point I would feel like she would stop seeing me that way, but for now she still does. Yeah. So that's like my hesitancy. Has, has your mom ever uh, tried therapy? Yes. And she even put me in therapy. uh, Like when I was having a lot of frustration about my stepmother and living with my stepmother and, you know, like she put both my sisters in therapy when they were getting divorced She's very like pro therapy, but surprisingly, she she's surprisingly concerned with the fact that I'm in therapy now, because I don't think she understands like why all of a sudden and like what I'm dealing like. It's you know she put me in therapy because of the divorce and like that made sense. It's like this happened therapy, but she's like what happened and I'm like nothing, like <laughs> well something, mm-hmm. but um like she doesn't know necessarily like why i'm doing it and so she's kind of like freaked out by it i don't think she thinks she just definitely doesn't think it's like a bad thing she doesn't think it like makes me weak right none of the usual stuff that you maybe hear from parents um but it is confusing to her yes. for sure it, it, it her i imagine uh, i imagine she feels safety knowing she has as much information about her children as possible so that she can uh, protect them in, in her mind. Right. Um, what, what does your therapist say about the, the, um, difficulty in your relationship with still wanting to protect your mom and her kind of still viewing you as a, as a child? She doesn't push me about it that much. I think her goal in general, and it 
it's related to other issues where I have like a lot of trouble saying no in general in life. It has been to kind of like try to get me to like not care quite as much about my family's opinions, even though like they're generally pretty accepting, but to not feel obligated about a lot of different things has been her goal. So I think, I don't know, in terms of my mom, I'm like, does does that make me like feel less obligated to tell my mom stuff? Possibly. But like, she, she really has never pushed the issue of me being more open with my mom. But you're nodding your head like, yeah, that all makes sense. But I'm not sure it does. <laughs> no, I'm just listening. Yeah. Okay. I'm just listening. Yeah. I actually wasn't even forming a, a, okay. a thought right, right then. Yeah. I mean, he, I, I feel like I feel a lot of pressure in terms of my family when it comes to uh, saying no to just mm-hmm. anything. Like, come to this thing. I'm like, I don't really want to or can't and feel really bad about it for like a long time and stuff like that. It's more like what she has helped me with in terms of my relationship with my mom. Mm -hmm. But um, I really can't even remember most conversations we may have had about. um, I mean, we definitely talk about how I feel the need to protect her, but I think she's like, that's kind of how, where you're at right now. (laughs) Yeah. It's a really hard one. It is a really, really, really hard one. Um, And I battled that for a large part of, of my life. What are some phrases that if you could pick, Two or three phrases that you wish you could say to any of your family members without it having a negative reaction and you being completely heard and understood, what would some of those phrases be? I honestly don't know. At first I was like, there's nothing. Uh, I feel like I'm very open with them. I feel like I would maybe say, (sighs) it's like hard to formulate because I feel like it would be something along the lines of like, I don't have the same priorities that you do. And that's not like, that doesn't mean I'm a bad person. Maybe possibly that the other thing that immediately came to mind was like, I smoke a lot of weed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> don't be mad at me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's kind of a like more frivolous one, but yeah, it's really hard to think of those because I do feel very open and honest with them. And they're so good about so much. Like, unconventional career path and like what I've done and like what I've chosen to do and like how I spend my time and things like that they're like very chill with but I think the thing that you know made me say my priorities are different is just like I feel like sometimes they feel like a very strong obligation to do certain things and I just like don't feel those obligations <laughs> and like sometimes I'm like does that make me a bad person but like God, no. therapy has really just been like no, it's just who you are and yeah. what you want to do. <laughs> that's that's so good that you're you're working uh, yeah. towards that because it is a hard hard thing to do because it's it's not an intellectual exercise; it's an emotional exercise to get to the place where you feel like um, you know your your relationship isn't going to collapse right. if you speak your truth. And just anticipating the whatever, the yelling or the tears or the pouting or whatever mm-hmm. a family dynamic is, it can be excruciating, mm-hmm. excruciating. Yeah. Uh, anything else that you'd like to uh, to share? Mm, I don't think so. I mean, I, like I said, I feel like I really was surface level on a, uh, on a lot of the things that I was talking about. Um, but 
I don't know how I could like go super deep on like something that lasted for like six years. <laughs> like how many little things can you mention? Um, feel like I, you have the gist. I, yeah, I don't feel like you were surface level. Okay. At all. It's really hard sometimes to like describe who this person was. You know, I think we get a pretty good. Okay, picture. I'm just like, do you realize yeah. how terrible he was? Like sometimes I talk yes. about it, and it's probably yeah. um, dictated a lot. I yeah. like I mentioned that I wrote about him online. I guess yeah. I could talk about that, but a lot of the reactions I got were kind of like, this isn't really that bad, and I'm like, yeah. you don't really know. I don't think. <laughs> yeah. You know, and he sounds to me like a troubled person, like a sick person that that doesn't. Um, uh, you know, and maybe that's me uh, sure. making excuses for people yeah, because I think there's I a difference. I, I think there's a difference. Um, I I te- like I can I look at a serial killer and mm-hmm. even somebody that does the most horrible things. I believe ninety nine point nine percent of humans don't want to do those things, but there's a compulsion, a sickness within them that they don't have tools to cope. With yeah. that overwhelming compulsion, which should not alleviate any of their responsibility or yeah. any of the consequences, but that I I had to get to that place with my mom mm-hmm. to be able to, um, I guess, not take it personally. Um, that's that sounds like an awful phrase. Um, to heal, I, I don't. I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's um I understand. I, yeah. It, yeah. I mean as angry as I still feel, like at the core of it, I I like I'm always hoping that he's in therapy and I get angrier when I sometimes realize he's probably not cuz I do like I just like you could be helped. Like this yes. this could really help you. That that angers the fuck out of me yeah. is the person that knows they have a compulsion that has proven right. they will hurt other people and they're not actively doing everything they can to battle that. Right. You I know? think like there's a little bit of narcissism that's probably keeping him from like thinking he has a problem. Um, but yeah, like at the core of it, I do just really want him to be doing something to help himself because I don't think he's evil. Um, but he he would just be greatly benefited by a therapist yeah. but and and i hmm. hope it didn't come across that i was trying to change no. your assessment of not at all i was just giving yeah how how i happen to um view people that that mm-hmm. hurt uh yeah. other people i actually sometimes get angrier at somebody that litters than i do at a serial <laughs> killer and yeah. it's so fucked up um because I see the the litterer is just not giving a shit, whereas yeah. the serial killer it, it can't fight this war within themselves. Right. You know. Yeah, I would agree. Um, anything else that you'd like to uh, to share? No, I don't. I can't think of where I would go uh, okay. if I were to continue. <laughs> I, I, I feel like we have a pretty pretty complete uh, episode, okay. and I, and I liked how it really, um, you know, kind of focused in on uh, one or two main things, mm-hmm. and. Uh, yeah, I appreciate it, Sarah. Yeah, I mean, thanks for having me. Um, it was hard, but it was good. So, 
if people want to uh, check out any of your stuff or get a hold of you, uh, what's the, the best way to do that? We'll put these links up on the sure. website as well. Um, I'm everywhere, but I mean, the content you would find is nowhere near what <laughs> you found in this episode. It's all Disney. So if you like Disney, um, I'm on Twitter. Uh, it's all under Sarah Sterling basically now. Uh, my YouTube is Sarah Sterling. My Instagram is Sarah Sterling. So it's all okay. It's all there. Good. Thanks, Sarah. Yeah. Thank you. And that episode will soon be transcribed and available on our website. Many thanks to Accurate Secretarial for donating their time and helping out the show. And, of course, many thanks to uh, to Sarah as well. Um, before I take it out with uh, a couple of surveys, I want to remind you guys there's a couple of different ways to support the show if you feel uh, so inclined. Uh, this show is... Uh, completely dependent on the uh, kind contributions of you guys. Um, you can contribute a one-time payment through PayPal, or you can do a monthly recurring uh, payment through either PayPal or Patreon. I recommend Patreon because then I can give you freebies. Uh, the interface on PayPal is god-awful. So um, you can sign up to be a monthly donor for as little as a dollar a month, and w- depending on whatever tier you donate at you can be eligible to win stuff or listen to bonus content um but more importantly it helps me um keep doing the podcast uh it's a full-time job and um it's uh it's it takes a lot of time and i love doing it but um sometimes it gets a little um scary financially because advertisers come and go and um anyway um you can also support us by using our Amazon uh, link. If you're going to buy something at Amazon, use the uh, URL. Um, you can bookmark it. It's uh, Just click on the Amazon logo on our homepage at metalpod.com, and it'll take you right there. And um, then anything you buy on Amazon, they'll give us a, a little bit of money, and it doesn't make the price of what you're buying any more expensive. Um, you can also help the podcast non-financially by uh, spreading the word about it through social media. Uh, that helps. Um, there was another way, and I can't... Oh, you can buy t-shirts. Uh, a lot of you have been buying the uh, St. Herbert t-shirt, and it makes me smile every time uh, I see we sold one, and the thought of somebody walking down the street with a St. Herbert t-shirt. Herbert is with my dog that died in uh, May, and who was uh, quite a character. Um, and there was one other way that you could, I can't remember what the other thing was, but, um, let's read some surveys. This is a, this is a survey, um, from, um, the young male abused by older female. And, uh, it's a survey that doesn't get filled out a lot. Uh, but I thought it was interesting timing, uh, that I read this. Uh, this was filled out uh, the same week as this episode with uh, Sarah. A lot of serendipity in this uh, doing this podcast. And uh, Kevin is straight in his 20s, um, was raised in a slightly dysfunctional environment. Um, and he writes, When I was 15, I met a 22-year-old woman in World of Warcraft. The relationship became sexual in nature, as much as an online relationship can, and we ended up having a secret relationship until I was 18. When I was 21, I moved across the country to live with her. I believed, I believe she has borderline personality disorder based on several recurring behavior patterns that I can't fit in this one description. 
uh, I kept her a secret for the longest time and kept her behavior and abusiveness a secret until after the relationship ended after one year of living together. Most of my family and friends still don't know the extent of it. I think I subconsciously knew it wasn't normal and didn't realize the severity of it until much later. I believe it has had a profound effect on me since it happened during such a formative time in my life. Uh, remembering back what feelings come up. Uh, anger, regret, and sadness are the most common feelings I associate with this experience. I'm still in recovery now. Do you feel any damage was done? Damage was certainly done. My relationships still struggle because of what I experienced with her. Um, thank you so much for, for filling that out. Um, Kevin, I appreciate it. And uh, it's so good that you're you're on the path to recovering. Uh, this is an awfulsome moment filled out by Gordy, and uh, she writes, uh, My parents died by murder-suicide when I was 16 years old. I was at school when it happened and chose to go back the next day. This led to my aunt and uncle caring for me for five months before deciding I was unhappy. They tried to send me to Virginia to live with my other aunt and uncle, which would have completely ripped away my entire support system. Uh, had my parents not died and my aunt and uncle not tried to send me away, I wouldn't have found the most amazing adoptive family and my chemistry teacher and her family who took me under legal guardianship. I often think I lost one family but was lucky enough to gain another. That's, that is profound, man. That is profound. It's... Uh, I mean, it's a cliche, but it's true. Our family is who who we decide to let into our lives and who we can depend on. Uh, this is an awful moment filled out by Traumarama, and uh, she writes, At the age of 19, I found myself pregnant, wanting to, quote, do the right thing. I kept the baby. Her father was only 18 at the time. We decided to stay together and raise her. But a few months before our daughter turned two, she was diagnosed with autism. A year after that, her dad came out as gay and I became a single mom. I spent the last seven years struggling through my undergrad and then grad school while working and raising a child with special needs alone. Because of this history, I have often found myself isolated or feeling, feeling like I don't uh, quite fit in anywhere. I live in San Francisco where most people my age are childless, traveling, and finally enjoying some financial gains. They don't seem to understand my challenges, and I feel like an outsider so often. The people with children are usually older than I am and have not shared my experiences either. The dating scene has been a challenge, and I recently went through a breakup with someone I dated for three years. This summer, I found myself grappling with so much loneliness, there were times I thought I might actually die. Last week, I connected with another mom whose child attended that same social skills group as my daughter some months back. Her child is also on the spectrum, and she has recently gone through a divorce. So we've started to go out to dinner with our kids on occasion. Though this parent is older than I am, it has been such a relief to connect with someone who seems to, quote, get it, at least in some aspects. At the end of dinner last week, we left a restaurant, gaining stares from people as we walked out because both our kids had been loudly, vocally stimming, uh, in parentheses, making loud noises they cannot control, throughout our meal. We just kept walking, as I said, some sarcastic comment about the looks we always get. We were making our way to our cars when our kids ran into the bookstore next to the restaurant. 
My daughter was flapping her hands excitedly, and her son went after the first book he found. We exchanged knowing glances. Only veterans of special needs parenting can understand. When she suddenly said, Have I ever told you about the time my kid took a spite shit on the playground? Immediately we started crapping up. Crap, crap. That's Freudian slip. Started cracking up as she explained the factors surrounding the spite shit and how other parents had come to chastise her for her son's behavior. Hilariously, I had a similar story of uh, from my daughter's first day of kindergarten. She had become so angry that she peed in a trash can while her teachers looked on in shock. In the middle of this quiet bookstore, both our kids, being 100% themselves, uh, we busted out in rolling laughter. Big belly laughs, tears in our eyes, and trying to catch our breath as we recounted these stories. Something that had felt so overwhelming, frustrating, and impossible to handle had suddenly become my bridge of connection to another human being. There was a time I would have never believed I could laugh at that incident, but there I was, taking in how bizarre and hilarious our lives can be. It also made me realize how far both our children had come. Stairs in a restaurant feel like nothing when I look back at the gains we have all made. It was a small moment but it restored my faith that I can connect with people, that good moments can come from seemingly terrible ones, and that our kids will be all right. Thank you for that. I can't imagine how challenging that has to be. Uh, this is... I, I couldn't decide which of these next two to end the podcast on. Um I'm gonna I, I'm gonna have have uh, read him in this order. Uh, this was uh, an awful moment filled out by a guy who calls himself uh, an over traumatic gay, and he writes, "I just got out of a three and a half year relationship with an emotionally abusive and unavailable man. I moved across the country to Los Angeles with him a few months after we started dating and lived there together for three years. We were in the process of moving to uh, New York City in the summer when I suddenly found out he'd been cheating on me with multiple men over the last few months. We ended things shortly after I moved back home to the East Coast with my parents. About two weeks after I moved back home, after crying nonstop for days, my ex called me to catch up. For whatever reason, he thought it would be nice to tell me he went on a two-week dating bender and has made multiple new friends with benefits since I've been gone. He said he can't stop smiling because he has the freedom to fuck whoever he wants and not feel guilty for hurting me anymore. After ending the call, I was in hysterics. I sobbed and cried for a long time until the tears slowly turned into strange laughter. I began laughing and smiling because hearing him say that made me realize how toxic this relationship was for me. I finally realized I'm worth so much more and deserve so much better. I finally realized I did nothing to deserve the hell he's put me through, and if anything, I almost feel sorry for him. I realized he must be in a lot of pain to do everything he's done to me. I called him a few days later to ask him to stop talking to me and blocked him on my phone and all social media. I'm still grieving uh, grieving and in a lot of pain, but I'm really proud of myself for standing up. It's making this process a lot more bearable. 
I gotta say, that is fucking amazing. Uh, a lot of people have to go to support groups for years to get the clarity and the strength to do what you did. And I commend you. Uh, finally, this is a happy moment uh, filled out by a woman who calls herself Shut Up and Let Me Find My Depression Funny. And she writes, I've been really depressed the last few days. Uh, and then in, uh, uh, with an asterisk, takes a break to take her antidepressant. Uh, last night, I slept only a few hours, and this morning I got up long enough to get my children to daycare. I got back into bed till past midday, crying constantly. I was upset over some hurtful things some jackass said, and in the midst of that, I found out a friend had passed away. I decided that nothing was going to get better while I was crying in bed, so I turned your podcast on and headed out into the garden. There's something about looking after the earth that fills me with so much joy, but I think I also find some satisfaction in ripping out weeds. I sat down for a rest right when you told the story of your friend transporting his own poo through someone's house. It was absurd and exactly what I needed to have a laugh. Listening to the podcast was the first time I'd laughed all day. My friend, that was when he was 12 or 13, and he was uh, at my neighbor's house, and he had a crush on her, and he had to go to the bathroom, and he took a, he took a, took a shit in their bathroom, and the toilet wouldn't flush, and he didn't know what to do, so he picked it up and ran to their other bathroom and put it in there and flushed it, and... Just the thought, like if I could get in a time machine and go back and stop him between bathrooms and say, hey, Jim, this is Paul from the future, and I just want to let you know it's okay. You're not going to get caught. And what's even weirder is some lady who is almost suicidally depressed in 2017 is going to be gardening when she hears about this and it's going to make her day. I want a time machine built just so I can do that, just so I can experience that. Well, I hope you heard something uh, in this episode that moved you, enlightened you, inspired you, maybe pissed you off. Maybe you got some anger buried in you. You needed it to come up and out. Go ahead, take it out on me. Send me an angry email. I'm in a good place. I can handle it. Uh, if you're out there and you're feeling stuck, just uh, don't give up. Because one of the biggest lies our brains tell us is that we're alone and nobody understands. And it couldn't be further, further from the truth. Um, you are so not alone. And there is help everywhere if we're willing to get out of our comfort zone and ask for it. And it may not come immediately, but it will come eventually. And it almost never comes in the form we want it to come in. And uh, that's been my experience. And uh, thanks for listening. 
That was a little dramatic right there. Everybody I know is bizarrely beautiful. Everybody I know is bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way. Bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way.